Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We can, we can always not do it and give you a mug and leave. <laughs> actually, I am actually quite busy. Oh. So, thanks. <laughs> um, and, uh, and good luck. <laughs> Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Telegraph's Associate Editor for Politics, and this is Chopper's Politics. Phew, what a week. It ended with an extraordinary bonfire of taxes by Kwasi Kwarteng, the biggest tax-cutting, let's call it a budget, budget since 1972. And that's the IFS talking, not me. We now know what trustnomics is, but how will Labour respond? Well, let's go and find out. Before that announcement came in Parliament on Friday, I spoke with two senior figures in Labour who know what's going on. Frontbencher Lisa Nandy, the shadow levelling up secretary, and Peter Mandelson, the architect of New Labour's triumphs in the 90s and early noughties. Peter Mandelson, welcome to Chopper Politics. It's great to have you on. It's very nice to be with you. Boris Johnson's gone. Yes. Liz Truss is in. Yes. Is that good news for your old party? Oh, never underestimate your old political opponent. I mean, she may be the fourth Tory Prime Minister in six years with absolutely no clear idea, there are no predecessors as to what she wants to do with or for the country, no mission, no plan just just a great splurge of taxpayers' money from quasi Quateng. but don't underestimate her would be my view. She's going to fight with everything she's got to hold on to power and there's still a formidable campaign team uh, and machine behind them so the Labour should be careful just not to sit back She's gambling backs. on future growth, isn't she? That's what she's doing. And it's the kind of thing which the Tories attacked Labour for shall, shall I tell in you the what late she's noughties. Doing? Shall yeah. I tell you what she's doing? She's not gambling on future growth. She's announcing that we are going to have 2.5%. But that is an announcement. It's not an achievement. So all her plans are economic plans and her splurging and her tax cuts and her high borrowing, which are going to result in high interest rates, more inflation, a plummeting pound, and God knows what's going to happen to mortgage holders. It's a great splurge. It's a great gamble, as, as you say. And with almost no sort of consideration about where this is going to end up in two, three years' uh, time. Shall I tell you what it reminds me of? Ted Heath... And Anthony Barber, in 1972, that famous dash for growth, that budget which triggered inflation, which sent the pound plummeting, we lost control of the public finances, borrowing went through the roof, and we had uh, basically our economy, not least because it was coupled with another similar energy price shock uh, in the 1970s, was wrecked. Now, 
careful what you wish for, is what I would say to uh, uh, Liz Truss. What is Labour's response to that? What is Labour's uh, idea? Well, you'll hear what Labour's response is. I didn't speak for the Labour Party. I'm not a front bench uh, (laughs) member of the Labour Party. You'll hear what they have to say. I really hope they will say this, that if you are going to borrow more, now, if you are going to push the envelope out and if you're really going to take sort of risks with the finances, spend the money on something that is going to change our economic fundamentals, that's going to make a real structural difference to our economy over the long term. That's what I would like them uh, to do. So, you know, you invest in the energy and digital transitions that are going to transform our economy. You're going to invest in the technology-based new industries of the future. You're going to invest in the uh, climate change uh, uh, programme that the government says it still has, but I'm not sure whether they're genuinely committed to. You know, invest in people's skills. I invest in what is fundamental and will make a long-term difference to our economy and not just sort of splurge everything. Chipping money into pockets. Well, but but what are they doing? You know, they're giving people, well, some people, uh, tax cuts cuts with one hand, but they're taking it back with higher interest rates, more expensive yep. mortgages, spiralling inflation. So, it, you know, there are swings and roundabouts, and they know this, and they can't take the people for fools. A year, a year ago, when you came on this podcast, you said you'd love to serve in a Keir Starmer government. How near are you to that goal? Are you, are you helping Keir Starmer with his politics now? Well, I, I try to help uh, any of his team who want my help. I mean, and are you? Know, you? I have been re- round this course <laughs> one or two, <laughs> on one or two occasions uh, before, but I, I'm not actually playing the role uh, for Keir Starmer that I played for Neil Kinnock, for Tony Blair, and Gordon Brown. I think probably he or some of the people around him want to do it in their own way. That's fine. I'm absolutely relaxed, but I'm here with plenty of time on my hands to help them in any way they want. <laughs> and are, are you talking, are you once a month doing a conference call with this team? No, I don't do conference calls with this team, but I speak to members of his team who when they call, when they ask, when they want to sort of chew the fat, I'm very happy to do so. You said a year ago that he needed a good core team around him. Has he got that now? Yes, he's got a good shadow cabinet team around him. I think the people that you're going to see at the party conference, Rachel Reeves, she's first rate uh, shadow chancellor. She really has got her head turned on the right way. She's got her feet on the ground. She's also ambitious for the country. Obviously, she's committed to the change agenda that Labour uh, wants to bring in. I think that David Lammy, very good sense of what a foreign secretary needs to be. Yvette Cooper, the shadow home secretary, we're streeting, heard him on the radio this morning talking about the National Health Service. My God, he's good. So I think he's got a, a, a great front bench team. He's in place. And why aren't they further ahead in the polls? Why are they only, only 10% given the chaos in number 10 over the past year or so? How do you say only 10%? I mean, given where we've come from, I mean, we would have been very thankful for, you know, half a percent under our previous leader, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, so we've come a long way. And I'll tell you this, actually, about, about him. I wondered when Keir Starmer became leader, he would really be able to do in one term what it took Neil Kinnock and Tony Blair 10 years. And actually, I think he's doing it. Uh, I think he's behind that sort of rather sort of serious, down-to-earth uh, exterior. Keir Starmer is a very 
uncompromisingly focused individual. I think he's absolutely determined to get the changes he wants and he doesn't give up till he's got them. That's what we've seen over the last two and a half years. Do you worry that Labour is too concerned with the producer, not the consumer? By that I mean they seem to be siding themselves with striking workers public second work workers wanting double-digit pay rises, and they seem to be ignoring the consumer, which is what I think Labour's triumph, really, in the 90s, was to put itself on the side of, of homeowners, of taxpayers, the people worrying about uh, public services and looking back at the state. And I, I think Labour aren't doing that yet. Let me say two things about that. First of all, there are many groups of frontline workers who really helped us through the pandemic, by the way, but others who are really badly paid. They don't have industrial muscle. They know they can't just pursue endless disputes and take strike action. Uh, They don't do that. That's not what they're, they're there to do. And they look around the economy and see in the private sector people getting pay rises of, what, 6 or 7%, and they're being offered a desultory 1 or 2%. I think those are the people who, when you talk about producers, who are producing... You know, real care, real services, doing real things day in, day out on which people depend, who we should support and demonstrate some solidarity with. And if if they're pushed to a point of having to take action themselves through their trade unions, they're the sort of people that I think we should be supporting. But when it comes to the consumer, you're making a very, very good point. To win the next election decisively and well, The Labour Party has to get those centre ground voters, Uh, people who see Liz Truss taking the Tories off to the right, but people who are not ideologically of the left or ideologically of the right, they're centre ground people. What they want to see from the Labour Party is absolute, solid, dependable economic competence. And they want strong leadership shown from uh, Keir Starmer and his front bench. And I think that what the Labour Party has got to realise is that when we were fighting uh, for office in the 1990s, I mean, the lesson you need to learn from new Labour is discipline, discipline, discipline that we ran things, we were a very tight ship and things ran properly. It was a, we knew how to run a railway. And secondly, we were always remembering where the British people are rather than where some in our party would like them to be. Where are they now, the British people? I think it's possible that the British people are moving towards a conclusion, which I remember in 1979, the then Labour Prime Minister, Jim Callaghan, set out. Uh, to a group of people around him. And he said, Jim Callaghan, in 1979, you know, there are times, perhaps once every 30 years, when there is a sea change in politics. Uh, It then doesn't matter what you say or do as a government. There's a shift in what the public wants and what the public (coughs) approves of. Now, I'm not counting my chickens, but... You know, Callaghan thought there was such a change in 1979 which brought in Margaret Thatcher. The next sea change was about 30 years later in 1997, which brought in Tony Blair. I think it's likely that we're going to see another such sea change in 2024 when the public basically decides that the Conservatives have had their chance, they've had their time, 
The last decade has been an extraordinary roller coaster ride with first austerity, which we're now told by conservatives was excessive and unnecessary. My God, the damage that it created at the time. Then we had all the divisions and the deadlocks over Brexit. Then we had the pandemic. And now since the pandemic, we've had the energy price shock as a result of the Ukraine war. I think what people are beginning to realize is that it's time the Tories were given a rest. What a lot of Conservatives say to me, they know that they don't deserve to win uh, uh, next time. And I think people are saying it's time, it's safe to give Labour their turn uh, to take the country forward. But that's a very important word, by the way. Mm. It's safe to vote Labour. People didn't feel that in 2019 under Jeremy Corbyn. Now, he's very firmly behind us now. And Keir Starmer has made it absolutely clear that he's not coming back. Good. Tick. But people need to be reminded from here to polling day that the Labour Party is a different Labour Party uh, under Keir Starmer mm. and that it is now safe to vote for. I've often thought that the Labour Party could repurpose that Sarchi advert from 79. Labour isn't working to Britain isn't working. Because so many things, if you're out, if you talk to anybody um, trying to access public services, it's so hard to see a GP. It's so hard to get a driving licence. You have to wait for weeks and months to get a passport. You're paying these taxes but you can't not get anything really out of the system of benefit. I think people say it every day, you know, Britain's broken. Now, I don't like talking down the country. It's not my style. And especially after the last two weeks we've come through where we've seen Britain at its absolute best. I mean, just wonderful. I mean, it makes me a bit sorry, I have to say, that uh, Liz Trust, in one of her first decisions as Prime Minister, has decided to shelve the idea for a recommissioning of Britannia. Uh, I've always you know, had a rather sort of neutral stance on this, uh, uh, quite honestly. But you scrapped it, Peter Mandelson, in October 97. No, I, I most certainly did not scrap you it. You weren't in the government then? It, you were, you were I in the was cabinet, in the cabinet office minister. minister. Well, if you want to know, I was in the government in the cabinet office. The Secretary of State for Defence, who had ministerial responsibility for it, uh, was not told or consulted. It was announced in August via a briefing from the Chancellor's press secretary. And it caused a lot of disquiet at the time. Um, but that was then. Now, I, th- I think people, you know, to have a new Britannia named after uh, the late Queen, the Elizabeth, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of money. It certainly shouldn't be taken out of the defence budget. They have other commitments to fulfil. But I think to shelve it, as the Liz Truss has done, without saying anything about it, you know, without explaining... I, I, I don't like that approach. I work in Parliament, as you know, as uh, covering politics, writing a daily newsletter, which I'm sure you read, Peter Mandelson. I asked Labour MP yesterday what, what, to, um, what to ask you, and he said, you're a successful businessman, you've done really well. You're, you're, uh, you're, I, you are, or I am. You are, I'm, oh, to you. I am. I'm, well, I'm, I'm giving you his question. Thank uh, you. In this, we're in your office here in, 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 near Bond in Street. Global Council. Global Council, in very Maryland successful. Bay. Yeah. So why do you bother with politics? I mean, you know, you've, you've been there. We bought the T-shirt. <laughs> you were a great success. You won three elections for the Labour Party. But you're still doing it, aren't you? You're on my podcast. Just... I am still doing it because I just care very deeply. Yeah. Um, and I miss, I miss being able to make a difference. I miss being in government uh, every single day. I'm not going to hide that from you. I just do. And I, I am so pleased the Labour Party's back 
where it needs to be. You were in mourning, weren't you, for a period under I Corbyn? I certainly was uh, under Corbyn, but it's now we're now back in the mainstream, you know, representing those essential values of the broad mass of people in this country. And the reason why I, I, I like Keir Starmer and the reason why I think he would make a very good Prime Minister is because I think he represents the best of British. I really do. I think he's hard-working, I think he's public-spirited, I think he's patriotic, and he'd fight as hard for your family as he would for his own. He would never let Britain down. You know, he would never make us look small on the international stage. And he's the sort of guy, he's been committed to public service all his life, he's the sort of guy who would go to bed worrying that he'd done enough uh, to improve the country in, in the day that's gone, and then he'd jump out of bed the next day and think he could do better. He passes that, that is the sort of person I like. He passes the blink test, which is you blink and you can imagine him on the steps. Well, the he's, not 10. Ve- he's not very ideological, to be honest. Is that his problem now, you see? Well, now, I don't think so. Some people, that's his problem. I think he's more national than ideological. He thinks in national terms. He thinks in, about the country. He thinks, you know, what works, what's going to improve the lot of the overwhelming mass of people uh, in this country. And, uh, okay, there are some in my party who would like him to be more sort of, you know, left-wing in quotes. And he is on the centre-left in politics, as I am myself, as New Labour was. But above all, he is something else. There is something quintessentially British and public-spirited about him, which I like, and he works darn hard and he brings the changes in the Labour Party, and I think he'd do the same for the country. Just one final question. We're expecting um, maybe some strike action to be signalled by unions. What's your advice to Keir Starmer with any shadow ministers who may go on picket lines? You called for discipline there, didn't you? Well, I think we've, we've got to make clear again and again and again that the trade unions do their job, and we in the Labour Party do ours. The front bench are not running industrial disputes on behalf of the trade unions any more than the trade unions and their leaders uh, are dictating to our front bench what their views and policies uh, are. We respect the trade unions uh, and the role they have to play. As a government, we would want to work with the trade unions, not against the trade unions. But when I say the trade unions, I mean their members. Not, not, not some of the sort of cliques and left-wing factions who uh, offer the leadership, which, in my view, is pretty unrepresentative of the members, taking them in a direction of disputes, which are perfectly legitimate disputes, but at some stage they've got to realise that they've got to be settled. And when you reach an end of a negotiation, you should put the outcome of the negotiation to your membership and give them the chance to vote on it. We're not seeing that in the but case, should front for, benches for example, the, of the rail strike. But should front benches be on the picket lines with... No, no, I, I, I think we've seen enough of front benches sort of, you know, playing to the gallery on picket lines. I, I wouldn't blame front benches or Labour MPs in their own constituencies, showing their solidarity to care workers and others who are on the front line of public services who are being paid miserable wages and deserve more. And Peter Manson, finally, one tweet. In one tweet, what's your advice to Labour? Be the change, be the agents of change, but remember that you're only going to bring about change in government if the broad swathe of centre-ground voters vote for you at the next election. Don't forget them. Don't lose touch. Make sure that your feet are firmly planted where where you need the votes, and that's former Tory voters... This is not a tweet, by the way. This is a uh, thread. Uh, uh, for, former, former Tory voters who we need to convince and persuade to cross the line back to Labour. Peter Manson, thank you.
Peter Mandelson there. And I'd be fascinated to hear what you think about what Lord Mandelson had to say. Please do email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk, or tweet me. We're at Choppers Podcast. Now, do stay with us, listeners. Coming up, I'll be joined by Lisa Nandy, the Shadow Secretary for State for Leveling Up, to talk trustonomics, patriotism, and whether she misses Michael Gove. Right after this. It's painful to imagine that someone would ever have paperwork about child abuse and not do everything in their power to bring the abuser to justice. But I've been speaking to people who say that seems to have happened in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Not only was he aware of the abuse, he had heard the confession of it. My colleagues and I on the Telegraph investigations team have been gathering evidence for the best part of a year, but I don't think any of us were prepared for what we'd uncover. You just wonder, what what is going on here? I'm Catherine Rushton, and this is Call Bethel, a new audio series from The Telegraph. Subscribe now, wherever you get podcasts. Now from Labour's past to its present. Lisa Nandy was elected MP for Wigan in 2010, the same year as our Prime Minister, Liz Truss. And as Labour's shadow levelling up secretary, she's appeared on this podcast a couple of times from her constituency in Wigan. But this week, she was in London. So I simply had to ask her to join me on my favourite barstool at the Red Lion Pub for a chat. Lisa Nandy, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. In person this time. In person is amazing. Um, Are you missing Michael Gove already? It's been two weeks. Uh, Are you having withdrawal symptoms? Well, we've heard quite a lot of Michael Gove over the last few years. (laughs) I think everyone, including Michael Gove, is probably taking a bit of a break from Michael Gove. But I, I suppose one thing that I do miss about him is that there was very much a sort of drive and determination to deliver when he was in the post. And there was a very clear view that you didn't just have to deliver for the country, you know, aggregate growth, but you had to deliver for people, their places and their lives. Like in Wigan where you live? Yeah, like just like in Wigan where people have been clamouring for that for years. And we may have clashed a lot about how to achieve that, but there was a very clear sense that that's what he was in business to do and that's what he'd been put there to do. That has completely gone in the last few weeks. Has it? The, well, the goal was the same, wasn't it? You know, levelling up was what you both found to achieve in different ways. Well, I mean, the government is still very committed to levelling up, but their version of levelling up is Singapore on sea, you know, places like Wigan becoming places where very wealthy people can stash their cash, slash and burn, deregulate. What, what, what's that from? That's the, um, the zones they're creating, Yeah, so their big idea is these investment zones, which is not new. Osborne had enterprise zones. It's all being announced this week. It's already falling apart. There's no serious Mm. economist who thinks this will grow the economy. But the bigger issue is that for people in these zones, they're going to see people building all over their green belt. They're going to see very wealthy housing being built because we think all the affordable housing provision will go. What's the benefit for people in Wigan? I think none. So in a way, I do miss Michael Gove because what I miss was that sense that you had to deliver not just to hit some aggregate figure that might help you win an election but you had to deliver for people's lives. He really cared I think Lisa. He's he's, said. I think he cared. Would you say would you agree with that? For a Tory? (laughs) 
I, I think he. I think. I think. If I'm really honest, what he cared most about was winning the election, and I think he's very good at sensing the mood of the country. You know, over the years, he's been this kind of you know this education secretary yeah. who shook up the system. Yeah, the he, then he was. Yeah. Then he was the sort of compassionate justice secretary, if you remember, and then he cared about the environment, and then suddenly he was Mister Leveling Up. You know, caring about left behind places. I actually think what connects all of that is that he was good at reading the mood of the yeah. country. And you haven't written to him. Send him a text. Um, I did actually, and I, I messaged him when he when he uh, detonated himself. <laughs> I like to think that I saw him off, but you know, a bit like Dominic Raab before <laughs> him, I think he did it all by himself. Did you reply? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've always had a very collegiate, Good. very friendly relationship, and you know, one of the things that is it has been really important about figures like Michael Gove being in government is that they may disagree i think liz truss is like this as well actually they may disagree but they'll engage in the argument and that's, the and point, that's really isn't important it? and just briefly on the last two weeks i mean it's in our minds only from monday did you ever meet the queen did you come to wigan when you were there no i, I met prince william many okay, times good. because i used to work for centerpoint homelessness charity that he is a and patron his mother of, was part and his, his mum was a great champion of she was really important for us so never met the queen herself but i mean obviously she's been an anchor mm. for the country all through my life mm. and I think the absolute you know incredible contribution that she made I think is best summed up in the fact that you've got lifelong Republicans in this country who came out to pay their respects and to pay tribute yeah. because they recognised how important and she's Labour's queen too isn't she because people think of um, maybe the Conservatives have I an think ownership I you could see <clears throat> it in the tribute that Keir paid how much mm. she meant to him personally. And, yeah. you know, you heard it in Theresa May and the, the, the lovely story that she told about dropping <laughs> cheese <laughs> on the floor and putting it back on a plate while the I Queen was Keir's watching. speech was amazing, actually. Because he connected that person that we, we know from stamps and money to the individual person in the, in the street in a way which Liz Truss didn't do, I thought. I, I, think, I think that probably is true. I don't, you know, I don't want to criticise... No. You know, Liz Truss had a job to do, didn't she? She yes. had to respond on behalf of the country. But actually, I think Keir caught that note on behalf of the country better most definitely now you've mentioned there liz truss how will you handle trussonomics it gives you a chance here doesn't it because you can be completely different the problem with with johnson johnsonomics was it was very quite similar to what labor were doing i think or planning to do which is spend money heavily in, in parts of the country that need it but trussonomics is, is completely different it gives you a chance yeah i mean i i didn't i never lamented the fact that there was some kind of consensus that began to form around leveling up under the last mm. uh, incarnation of the Tory party I, I think you know building a consensus around getting all places in this country working and getting the economy firing all cylinders I think that was a really really important moment that moment is gone though you're right and it opens up very clear political water between us in the end the question is not about whether you want growth because we all want growth the question is about how you get that growth and they think that you can do it by powering the economy using a small number of people in a handful of sectors in one small part of the country. We think everybody has to contribute. So, you know, this thing about deregulating bankers' bonuses, it's become a big political row for obvious reasons about fairness. It's symbolic, isn't it? But, it, but it's bigger than that, because actually what they're saying is that you can continue with the economic model that we've tried for four decades and that has demonstrably failed a lot of people in this country. With the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Yeah, and, you know, unleash the power of the City of London and then just redistribute what 
whatever's left. The problem is there's not enough of the pie to redistribute because we've written off most people in most places. It's what economists liken to trying to fly a jet using only one engine. You know, you look at Grimsby, for example, where they've got an amazing wind industry because when we were in government, the regional development agency spotted the potential and put some state backing behind it. And then the market came and the private investment came. So now you've got kids powering the world from the Grimsby Engineers, docks. engineers, right? Yeah, and you know, if you write off places outside of London and the South East, you're never going to get that. Grimsby is the windiest place so in Europe, I've discovered. But if Johnson winning the next election now with this trust and charge, Boris Johnson was like a Blairite figure who was hard to get a handle on for a lot of people, apart from his personal life and the way he ran number 10 was a was chaotic disaster. But now you've got Liz Trust there, you've got a better chance. I mean, I, I you know, I... Th- I think that's up to people. I, I hate the idea that you can game out the next general election. Our job is to convince people that we're ready to serve. And this conference that we're about to go into, yep. this Labour Party conference, you know, we spent two years getting the Labour Party into a shape that people could understand that we are fit to govern this country. And two years ago, we had a mountain to climb. That's gone now. We fixed those internal problems. We're a party that is pulling together, looking out to the country. And the message that I'm taking into this conference is to the members, get ready. We ought to win the next general election. We've got our sights on number 10. We ought to, ought and we're going to rebuild this country. Do I worry about Labour that it seems to be on the side of, of the producer, not the consumer. So I can think back, because I'm old enough, thinking back to the Labour pledge cards, education, 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 tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. These things were aimed at people at home worrying about their lives, whereas Labour often appeared to side with striking workers and not the commuters who are upset by that. I mean, of course, that's a big number of people, striking workers, but it's yeah. a far vaster number of people affected by the strikes. Yeah. Why are you on the side of the producer, not the consumer? I don't think it's a question of producer or consumer. And actually, to be really honest with you, as somebody who's always stood with our trade unionists, you know, we're going to use a mm-hmm. trade union well, town and it, in the summer. it matters. But, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I went on an RMT picket line when the ticket office staff and uh, station staff were on strike and I didn't feel that the public was in a mood to hear it you know the train service in the north is notoriously appalling and has been for a long time underinvested very expensive very unreliable yeah and people were finding you know they were really frustrated that there was another thing I think maybe something about the pandemic has changed that is that you know these people who run our foundational economy suddenly came back into focus and we remembered how much it mattered and you know this summer just thinking about the experience that people have had the support for people who are saying we desperately need a pay rise we're caring for your families but we can't afford to feed our own we kept the public services going in a pandemic but now we're struggling to know how we're going to make ends meet at the end of the week or month I think the public mood is we actually do have to get into a position where we can pay people properly and we can run our public services properly and that's why this argument about growth is so important You don't think that might be inflationary to support those double digit pay rises for public sector workers might drive inflation up I mean, look, I I think that it's an absolutely mad argument to get into to say that we can't run a country in one of the wealthiest countries in the world where people can afford to feed their families. That's Mm. got to be a top political objective for any political party, but especially for the Labour Party. And I would have a lot more sympathy with that argument if the Tory government weren't going out backing huge pay rises for bosses. I mean, take the boss of BT, for example, awarded himself a 32% pay rise. He's now on about three and a half million. And the government seems to think that's absolutely fine. Because according to Liz Trust, these are the wealth creators. But actually, I say that the people who work for BT Openreach, they are the wealth creators. They're the ones who come out and keep our country going, and they ought to share in the proceeds of that wealth. 
How would Labour grow the economy, Lisa Nandy? We've got to get the economy firing on all cylinders. What does that mean? It means stop writing off most people and most places. I was talking to Andy Haldane the other day, who mm. came in to do the levelling up white paper with Michael Gove and is now at the RSA. I think he puts it well when he says that's right yeah and you know I think he puts it well when he says what you really need is obviously you need a national strategy uh, and Labour's Labour's strategy is around utilising a bit of smart state investment to get private investment into industries like clean energy hydrogen for example in Ellesmere Port is really taking off with a bit of help from government you could really see us powering the world through the next century like we did through the last places like industrial and coastal towns really well placed to benefit um, yeah but then what you need is a proper program of devolution because you don't just need a national strategy you need lots of local growth strategies Mm. and that's why although people are really struggling with the cost of everything at the moment and that's forefront in most people's minds the devolution conversation is not an add-on because you've got to get decision making into the right hands so that you can get investment into the right places get everybody contributing and that's how you get the economy growing do you worry that Keir isn't cutting through you're 10 points ahead in the polls why aren't you twice that number given the chaos in number 10 I think people have got a lot on their minds at the moment. Most of my constituents are thinking a lot about how they're going to survive this winter. I think it is going to be the hardest winter that any of us can remember. It's not just energy costs, it's food prices. But there's also, you know, something that's preoccupying me a lot because I do the housing brief as well is about the costs of housing, particularly for private renters and people who don't have assets who are not going to be protected this winter. But I think people are very open to the message. And I think when they hear what we've got to say, I think there's a mood in this country that we can't go on like this. Everything feels like it's broken mm. and that it's falling apart. And people are ready for a very fundamental It feels like 92 change. for you, not 97 to me. You know, when I, f- I first got elected in 2010, same time as Liz Truss, been an MP now for 12 years. And... In the Ed Miliband years, we would say to people, look, things have got to change. You know, he was trying to fundamentally reconfigure the system. I never really felt that people were particularly in a mood to hear it. Now people are telling us that things desperately Mm. need to change. And what they're hearing back from us is that we've heard it, we get it, and that we're going to deliver on it. Do we still have work to do to convince people? Of course we do. And we would never be complacent. We've been out of power for a long time. But if you look at what we're doing in parts of the country where we are in power, we're showing, you know, whether it's Mark Drakeford in Wales or many of our Metro mayors, Tracy Brabin, for example, who's using culture to regenerate places like Bradford. Mm. I mean, it's really exciting stuff. And we're showing that we can do it and we're showing that we can be trusted and to Miliband's ideas of government policy the energy price cap I mean it's amazing which was socialist called the George yeah. Osborne back in 2014 if you remember that it's I mean. incredible when you think of how far it's moved but the reason that they've moved the Tories have moved is because they've had to move because the country has moved mm. so I, I really think that we can do this I think we can rebuild this country and I think we can win people's trust to do it but we'd never be complacent about it we went to strikes earlier will there be a general strike this winter I've got no idea. I mean, that you know, it's a question for trade unionists and workers, not for me. There could be an answer on, on Monday, apparently. But I, I think what is clear, and I, you know, I obviously speak to my colleagues and friends in the trade union movement regularly, is that people don't want this. You know, I've never met anybody who goes out on strike yeah. because not they're being excited. Paid. You're not being paid. I mean, you're not being paid, but it's also, you know, it's things like. You know, you often end up in a situation where you're feeling very under pressure, where you're being intimidated by management. And also, you know, I remember when our porters and cleaners and administrators from my local hospital went out on strike. 
it is genuinely awful mm. because it's not just a job it's a vocation and they couldn't care more about the people that they serve that's why they do it so you know I hope not and I think they hope not as well and our job is to make sure that we're in parliament keeping the pressure upon the government to try and find a solution mm. to some of these problems there won't be a clash on this at the conference will there won't be a concern about it I don't think so because actually I think that the mood of the members is very much that we've had 12 years of Tory government and the whole country feels like it's now falling apart and we've got a focus we've got a focus on Downing Street it's within our grasp to get hold of the levers of power in order to change this country and that's what we're going into conference with a clear message to do. And we've talked before in our interviews previously Lisa Nandy about patriotism will you be singing a national anthem at the conference? Yeah we're, we're, we're doing tributes to the Queen actually at the first first day the Sunday so Keir will open with that and we'll we'll sing the national anthem and everyone should know, join in. I think you and I have had this conversation before but you know I've never understood how sections of the left can believe that somehow being proud of your country is not a labor tradition being part of something bigger than yourself by the strength of our common endeavor we achieve more than we achieve it's the, alone it's the, it's the bunting that is test. the core yeah. of our message it's, it's, it's your, written on our it's pledge your, card it's your bunting test it's it's the bunting test it's are you having a street party for Quite ve right. day or not and just finally why should telegraph readers vote labor I think really because in the end most people can see that the country can't go on like this and a lot of the concern I think from people who don't traditionally vote Labour about us in recent years has been can we be trusted with people's money you know mm. it's their money and they haven't got a lot of it as one woman said to me a few years ago and they want to know that we would spend it wisely if you look at what's happening in British politics right now the people who are putting forward proposals that those with the broadest shoulders bear the greatest strength sustainable plans for investment and growth it's labor it's not the tories so you know there is a moment here where i think it is in most people's interest to vote labor and uh, my job for the next couple of years or however long this lasts this trust trust economics whatever it's called lasts my job is to make sure that people feel that they can and that they've got a home in labor and that they'd be extremely welcome well lisa and andy thanks for joining us for the first time in the red lion pub great to have you on thank you well, thanks very much Lisa Nandy there. Thank you to both my guests this week, Lisa Nandy and, of course, Peter Mandelson, Lord Mandelson. Thank you to the team behind the podcast, researcher Meg the Nanu, and, of course, the producers, Giles Gear and Louisa Wells. Most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a rating and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps other people find this show. And for more Westminster Insights straight into your email inbox every weekday, please do sign up to my daily Chopper's Politics newsletter. The link to that is in the show notes to this episode. And do be sure to check out my weekly Peterborough Diary column out at 7pm on Fridays online and in Saturday's Daily Telegraph. And remember, if you can, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph. You won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio!